We're thankful for your presence today. God has given us a beautiful day uh, when we can come together and worship Him. If you're a visitor, we are especially glad uh, that you are here in our midst. And if you've only been with us a handful of times, or if this is your first time here, we hope that you'll linger a bit in the lobby and allow us an opportunity to uh, meet you and get to know you. We are so thankful this morning that our Baja mission team has returned safely. Uh, Many prayers were offered up on their behalf, not only for a successful trip, uh, but but for safe travels, and both of those prayers were answered. And uh, I've already heard some wonderful stories from that trip uh, down to Mexico, and we will all be hearing a report about their trip next Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night, August the 5th. And so I hope that you will make plans to be here that evening. I'm personally excited about hearing about all the great work that God did through this team. And of course, we need to continue praying for the young church that they left behind uh, in coming back here as they uh, begin their journey with Christ. And so next Sunday night, let's all be here uh, to hear a report from, from this group. We've just got a couple sermons left in our Restore series. We've been talking about the church. And specifically, becoming the church that God intends for us to be. The church that Christ, His Son, established. The church that began on the day of Pentecost. The church that we read about on the pages of the New Testament, in the epistles, and in other places. We want to be that church. We want to exemplify the church Today, tomorrow, and until Christ shall come again. Last week, we talked, about, we talked about worship, assembled worship, those acts of adoration that we bring before God when we come together in a special way, as we are doing this morning, assembled worship. This morning, we're still talking about worship in a sense, but we're talking about daily worship. We're talking about how we live our lives, both collectively and and individually. We're talking about the Christian lifestyle. Because we don't want to just restore how the early church acted and what they did on Sunday. We want to restore the lifestyle that the early church lived in from Monday to Saturday. We want to truly be New Testament Christians uh, in, in every sense of the word. And that includes just how we operate on a day-to-day basis. I think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He encouraged the Christians in Rome to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living, breathing offering to God every moment that you're alive on the earth. Holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. That in... One way is how you worship in the Christian age. You are offering up yourself all the time, every day. You don't get to clock out. You don't get time off. This is an all-encompassing, all-consuming style of life to which we have been called through Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to talk about some common misconceptions that at least I see as I look around at Christians today, at the church today, in regard to this topic, in regard to this lifestyle, this manner of living to which we've been called. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to let Paul uh, in Colossians, the book of Colossians, address those. So what I want you to do, I want you to 
access God's Word in some way, and I want you to go to Colossians. Because we're really going to be digging in. This, this is going to be, I'm going to lay a lot of Scripture on you this morning. And, you know, hopefully all of my sermons are biblical. Uh, this is going to have a heavy dose of Bible uh, this morning. But it's all going to come from Colossians. So I just, I want you to have that book handy so you can, can flip here and there as we talk about Uh, as we talk about this topic. In Colossians, let me give you a quick summary as we begin. Paul combats false teaching, uh, the details of which we do not have time to dig into. Suffice it to to say, this false teaching was really de-emphasizing the need for Christ. Devaluing Christ. And so in his letter to the church at this city in Colossians, what Paul does here, he reestablishes the divinity of Christ, the centrality of Christ, and, among other things, he encourages these believers and he encourages us to keep growing in our maturity in Christ. Our maturity as believers. So let's just hit the ground running here. Let me go ahead and throw out misconception number one that I want us to address, and it's this. Becoming a Christian is primarily about securing a spot in heaven when I die. That's what it's all about. This is a misconception. It's a misconception that overemphasizes what happens then and underemphasizes to the point of neglect what happens now. In this misconception, the main purpose of my baptism is to ensure access to eternal life on the other side of this life, in the by and by. I want to reserve my room up there. And then once I'm baptized, I can sort of, phew, glad that's over with. Glad I've got it, you know, secured for the future. And now I can just rest easy. I can just, you know, hit cruise control. Or the more insidious version of this is I can live however I want. And you may look at this and think, well, that's pretty extreme. And I will acknowledge there, there are varying degrees of these misconceptions, and I'm stating it in the most extreme way. But you know as well as I that this is how a lot of Christians think and operate. I've got my room in heaven reserved, and thank goodness. And I don't want you to mishear me now. I'm not doubting that you should be assured of your salvation. I'm not questioning eternal security. What I'm saying is there are some Christians who place a great emphasis on that to the neglect of how they live in the here and now. This is a misconception. It minimizes the lifestyle to which we've been called. And we need to combat it. We're going to combat it with the truth of God's Word this morning. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Check this out. Paul says here, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of God, so that you know the salvation that has been brought down to you through Jesus Christ, and you know how to receive that. Not just so you can be assured that you're going to be with Him on the other side of eternity, but so that you can right now in this life walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's Paul's prayer. We want you to be filled with spiritual wisdom so that it transforms how you live on this earth 
while you are still, before, before you've died, before Christ comes, up, comes back, how you live now is important. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says that's why we want you to grow in the knowledge of Christ. So that you walk in a way that honors Him, that reflects who He is to the world. How you live in the here and now matters. At your baptism, among the many other blessings that you experienced at your baptism, in that moment when you were buried and raised with Christ, you were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. That's Colossians' language. That's Paul's language. Chapter 1, verse 13. At your baptism, you were plucked up from the kingdom of Satan and delivered to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's Son. In that moment, isn't that extraordinary? That in that act, we were transferred from one to the other, a kingdom that ends in, from a kingdom that ends in death and destruction to a kingdom that ends in light and life. And so, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I hope, hope you're able to turn there with me. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you've been baptized, if you've been raised up out of those waters of baptism, then you must embrace a raised style of living. A resurrection life. And you're going to want to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now that doesn't mean that we disengage with a sinful world. That doesn't mean that we withdraw from a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. That just means that our style of living is now on a different plane. We operate by a different set of rules. We operate according not to our fallen, broken nature, but according to this resurrection life that has been graciously granted to us through Jesus Christ. If you're a baptized believer, you've been raised. And so, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are, that are on earth. Listen, God very much cares how you live. He very much cares how we live. You are in a new world if you're a Christian. And there are some behaviors, there are sinful practices that are incompatible with that new world. And Paul spells some of those out, starting at verse 5 of Colossians 3. Are you there? Paul says to the believers, put to death, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you. Listen to his list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, the first four, it is no coincidence that the first four, at least in my English Bible, according to how I'm reading it, that the first four things, behaviors that Paul says you need to put to death, concern our sexual purity. God is very much concerned with our sexual purity. What are we, half a century or so since the advent of the sexual revolution? in this country, that attempted to upend this centuries-old conviction that a sexual relationship belongs in the confines of, of a committed lifelong marriage between one man and one woman? And where has that taken us in this country? STDs, sexually transmitted disease, rampant 
on an epidemic scale in this country. The disintegration of the family. Countless fatherless homes. All sorts of brokenness. Millions upon millions of unborn children slaughtered, sacrificed at the altar of casual sex. We can look across this great land and in every city and town there is wreckage strewn about from the sexual revolution. God says it matters how you live in this regard. It is important that you get this right Your sexual purity is important to me and to my glory, but it's also important to you and your wholeness and your well-being and your health. It is good for you to operate according to my vision, my ethic for sexuality. And listen, in this day and age, we will be mocked, we will be derided, we will be made fun of for standing up on what God's Word says about sex. We'll be mocked for saying that it's inappropriate and it's beneath God's will for a couple, a a man and a woman who love each other very much to engage in sexual contact before marriage, to live together before marriage. Oh, come on, loosen up. What's the big deal? No, God's Word has a very high view of sexuality as located within marriage. We'll be made fun of for, for saying things like homosexual relationships are inappropriate. And they don't measure up to God's standard of living. Oh, come on, are you kidding? Love is love. You know, just just embrace that. No, that doesn't line up with what God's Word says. God's Word, God knows what's best, and He knows what's best for us. We will be called prudes, and we'll be called backward, and old-fashioned, and sticks in the mud, or worse, we'll be called bigoted, we'll be called haters, So be it. We've got to stand up for what's right and we've got to bring our sexual desires and urges under the submission of our Lord. Our lives are counting on it. Our witness to the world is counting on it. It's important. It should not be lost on you that the four things that Paul says in regard to our lifestyle, all four deal with sexual purity. That's important to God. It's important how we live in this regard. And what else does he say if you skip down to verse 8? You need to put these away. Anger. Anybody struggle with that in the house? No one? Okay, I'll just keep on moving then. Uh, Wrath. Listen, we see that anger is a struggle. Not just for people in the world, but people in the church. We, some of us walk around with, and we are just one comment away from Totally flipping our lid. Totally boiling over. We walk around and we're just right up to here. And if somebody looks sideways at me, I am going to, I'm going to blow it. Anger, my goodness. We struggle with, Paul says, put it away. Put it to death. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie, be people of truth, speak truth to one another. These are things that are incompatible with this new life to which we've been called, into which we've been brought in our baptism. Put them away. The truth is this. Becoming a Christian is embracing a new life now that will extend into eternity. Our commitment to Christ is not just reserved 
For receiving salvation when He comes again, it is something we experience and we embrace now. Now. Right now. The second misconception is this that I want to share with you. It's this. Being a Christian is primarily about behavior modification. Learning to act right. If we're not careful, we can, as the church, we can begin to default this language as if this is what it is. As if this is what the Christian faith is all about. Just behaving better. Being nicer people. I mean, you've heard it. I've heard it. Talking to people. You know, I really need to get back in church because church will teach my kids how to be good citizens, how to be moral, how to be upright. It will impart to them important values and principles for living. Now, I believe that's true. But do I believe that's the heart of the Christian faith? Do I believe that's at the center of it all? Or is that something that... Maybe I shouldn't say this overemphasizes the lifestyle to which we've been called. Maybe I should say that it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. So the truth is this. The truth that combats this misconception that says what it's all about is learning to act better, is learning to behave in a nicer way. Here's the truth. Look at Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. For in him, all the fullness, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now what I want you to notice first is look at how much ink is spilled talking about how great God is and, how what, God, and what God did for us and how God through Jesus Christ has, has brought us, we who once were alienated, distant from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and He, He is the subject. He has now reconciled us uh, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. God is the actor here. He is the one bringing about salvation. And our behavior, our obedience, is in response to his grace. But we sometimes get the cart before the horse. And we end up talking about behavior uh, and what we ought to do before we talk about what God has already done for us. Look at what Paul says God has done through Jesus Christ. And it's only when you have talked about that that you can place all of the ethical requirements and the obedience that God demands in proper context. If you don't, then you've got, you're teaching people a lot of rules and they are unmoored, they are unhitched to anything deeper. And our kids grow up and they remember all these rules from their youth, but they're just sort of floating out there. They're arbitrary. They don't really know why they should operate you know, in this manner of life. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, and maybe they just you know, weren't listening, but a lot of 
Christians say, you know, when I was growing up in church, it just seemed like it was don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. And we would say, why? And they would say, just because. It's just the way it is. Folks, that will not cut it. It, it's never cut it, and it definitely won't cut it with the generation coming up now. They want to know why, and we know why. We live this way because of what God did for us. We live out of a sense of obedience and devotion to express our gratitude for God and what He's done for us through Jesus Christ. It's not that behavior is not important. It just must be placed in its proper context. This moralistic tendency, what it does is it makes the Christian lifestyle more about me. Than God. It it puts the spotlight on my ability uh, and my capacity to behave, and it neglects what God has done in His compassion for me. And what it also does, it just it ends up making us feel miserable because we we just can't quite measure up. We we just can't follow enough rules. We just can't be as committed to the law in order to earn our salvation or in order to get into God's good graces and we just end up feeling unworthy and we feel frustrated and some people eventually walk away. But in contrast to this, in contrast, look at Colossians 2 verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We get the order wrong. Paul doesn't get the order wrong. He says, just as Christ As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. You received Him, now walk in Him. Chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Listen, you've been chosen by God. You've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been called beloved. Now, doesn't that give you the proper motivation to then go and to obey and to live in a way that pleases God, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. Do you have a compassionate heart? Do you have a heart like Jesus? Are your insides warmed towards people who are desperate, who are helpless, who are in trouble, who are lost? I think about when Jesus so desperately needed rest. But he encountered a crowd. And he didn't just feel for them. He felt with them. He felt their pain. And he said, these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. His insides were warmed to them. He felt compassion for them. And it compelled him to begin teaching and healing and bringing the dead back to life. Do you have a capacity for compassion? Like that? Do you have a compassionate heart like Jesus? Paul says you need to put off these things. You need to put on these things. Take off those clothes. Put on these clothes. The first thing is a compassionate heart. And be kind. You think the world needs more kindness? Do we need people who are truly, genuinely from the inside of their being kind, humble, humility? I once heard humility is not Thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. It's understanding who you are before God. It's putting others' best interests before your own. Are you humble 
Are you meek? Meekness, of course, doesn't mean weakness. It is a controlled, bridled strength, a gentle strength with which you operate. And patience, patience, who needs a little dose of that? The truth is this, being a Christian means I have been ushered into a new world. And I want to live like it. Not, you better start behaving or else, you better start behaving if you want to make God happy. No, God has done this for you through Jesus Christ. And when you're obedient to that through baptism, He brings you into a new world. And when you get there, you should want to live like it because you're so grateful for what He did for you through Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's about. And here's the third misconception. And I wish I had a more memorable way to state this, but basically it concerns our expectations about the Christian lifestyle, about the timing of it. And here's what I mean. There is one camp who when they're baptized, they expect immediate transformation. I should be able to shed all my sins and struggles and temptations. I left them behind in the water and now I'm brand new. I'm not even going to have a problem, a care in the world. Because Jesus is my Lord. And I'm saved by Him. Immediate transformation. You know, like with the snap of a finger, I'm different. And then, on the opposite end, you've got some people who are not in a hurry to be different. To embrace sanctification. They lack a sense of urgency to be formed with Christ. And they say things like, well, I'll get there one of these days. Or, nobody's perfect. Or, you know, I'm just a sinner. I'm no different than you. Or, you know, we're all sinners here. I'm sure I'll get there one of these days. But I'm not too terribly worried about it because God's grace. His grace will cover me. And I need not be concerned. Here's the truth. Let's speak truth to this. To to people on both ends of the spectrum. The truth is, our view of the lifestyle to which we've been called should be characterized by both commitment and patience. Both are important. Commitment to the new life and patience. Because this process takes time. Look in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is very telling. We left off here earlier. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self. So, Something decisive happened at your baptism. There was a qualitative change of identity that occurred in that moment. You put off the old self and you put on the new self. But listen to what Paul says next. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So see, a decisive change has occurred, but the process whereby we bring our behavior in line with that change takes time. It takes time for our attitudes and our actions to catch up with our commitment and our repentance. Sometimes they lag behind. Now, that that doesn't mean we don't need to be concerned about being different. It just means that it's going to come in fits and starts, and the process is going to be long and drawn out, and it's going to last until you either die or Jesus comes again. And we need to be committed to it, but we also need to be patient with ourselves. And I'm not just making this up here. Chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then patience. Be patient. And listen to 13 and 14. Bear with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, let me stop right there. Because maybe you think you know what's coming up. If one has a complaint against another, then you better go to them and confront them, tell them how they did you wrong and how they ought to make it right. And, of course, Jesus talks about if a brother sins against you, there's a process to go through. And, of course, if we're dealing with sin in the body, it is our responsibility to call others to task, to to hold each other accountable because we're concerned about our Christian walk and our purity here. But what Paul is about to say is that there are some things, there are some faults and mistakes and sins that you just need need to let go. And you need to forgive and move on. And you need to just assume that, you know what? That person's working on it. And they're growing. And they'll get there. And they misspoke or they acted in in a a less than God-honoring way. And you know what? Listen to what Paul says. I'll let him say it. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just forgive. And move on. As the Lord has forgiven you. Why don't you remember how gracious God has been with you? Why don't you remember how much forgiveness He's lavished upon you? And then maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to let that go. You'll be able to overlook. You'll be able, you'll be able to extend forgiveness to your brothers and sisters because you know they are reaching out for a goal. We want Christ to be formed in them. We want everybody to, to reach maturity, but we're all moving at different uh, rates of speed. We're all on the way there. We're, none of us are there yet. Let's be patient with one another as we continue to challenge one another to grow in maturity. Maturity is the goal according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is the goal, but it takes a good while to get there. And in the meantime... While we challenge others, we ought also to be patient with one another. Now, devotion to Christ, this lifestyle to which we've been called, it affects, it impacts every facet of our lives. Nothing is left out. It it affects our home life, according to chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, when Paul talks about how husbands and wives and children should interact with one another in the home. It impacts our work life. According to Colossians 3.22 and following, how we act with superiors and subordinates when we go to work. Prayer should take a more central role, according to 4 verses 2 through 4. And how you act and speak with outsiders, that's also extremely important. Embracing the Christian lifestyle means bringing a little more of you under the reign of Christ each day. Embracing the Christian lifestyle means bringing a little bit more of you under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ our Lord every day. So you should ask yourself, is my life more in tune with God's will today than it was yesterday? With, in this week than it was last week? In 2018 than it was 2017? In this decade than it was previous decade can i see growth and sometimes you know it's like 
two steps forward and one step back, but do I see myself making progress? Am I trying my best? Am I challenging myself to place more of myself under His control? The process, this lifestyle that we're talking about embracing, it is the, it's the process of becoming who we already are. We have been saved. We have been delivered from our sins. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. We are beloved by God. We've been chosen by God. Now we want to act like it. Now we want to live like it. Now we want to live in a way that shows God we're thankful. We want to live in a way that is worthy of our calling. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. We'll, we'll close out here. Whatever you do, whatever it is you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And if you do, if you do, If this characterizes your life, then when Christ, who is your life, appears according to Colossians 3-4, when Christ, the one around whom you've shaped your entire being, when He shows up on the last day, you'll be there with Him. You'll be there with Him. The one who saved you, the one who has been formed in you, as you have sought to keep in step with Him. You'll appear there with Him. In glory. And so the question, the questions that I have for you this morning, we have people who have yet to submit to baptism. And so is it time for you to pass from old to new? Is it time for you to die to your sins and be raised up uh, into new life? I hope that this morning you'll make the decision to come down the aisle to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord so that you can be buried in water, so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can be plucked out of darkness and taken into the kingdom of light where you will dwell for all eternity. Or maybe this morning you're thinking of making a leap in your growth. You have been stagnant. You have just been complacent with where you are. And today you say, I, I need Christ to be formed in me. I need to bring this under the reign of Christ this very morning. And I need to tell my brothers and sisters about it. Because I don't think I have enough strength on my own to leave out those doors and to do what God has called me to do without my family praying for me. I need my my brothers and my sisters lifting me up in prayer if I'm going to do this. Maybe you need to come and dedicate another part of you, a part that has been living apart from God. And you need to rededicate it, bring it under the submission of Christ. Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing?